This past week, I had the opportunity to watch the Republican National Convention. I watched as black people were paraded across the screen and made eloquent presentations, lending their respective credibility to vouch for the reelection of a man that they believe deserves to be given another opportunity to serve as commander in chief. As of this message, the number of deaths due to the coronavirus pandemic is now 182,785. There are protests in almost every major city due to police brutality. The unemployment rate is 10.2%, with over 33 million people having lost their jobs. Major businesses such as Lord & Taylor, J.C. Penney, Neiman Marcus, Hertz, Brooks Brothers, and GNC and others have all filed for bankruptcy protection. Hurricane Laura barreled into the South Coast at a Category 4 level, leaving 14 dead so far and close to $25 billion in damages. And wildfires continue to rage in California and have now moved into five other states in the Union. All the while, at this Republican National Convention, as black people paraded across the stage, the Vice President Mike Pence said, to make America great again, again. I'm not sure what you think, and this is not a political sermon, but I believe America is indeed great at not being so great. But as I watched, I thought about how it could be possible that each person at that convention, and especially the people of color, who, by the way, speak only for themselves, could ignore the reality of what is currently taking place in these United States of America. How is it possible that they could pretend as if the killing of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and now the shooting of Jacob Blake is something that can be so easily ignored? And in addition to all of that, be comfortable defending the blatant display of white supremacist entitlement with a teenager, a white teenager, casually walking with a long rifle after killing two people and not be immediately held to account. As I reflected on all these events, I was led to wonder about the condition of their souls. What could possibly be going on in the hearts of these people such that it becomes normative for them to behave as they do? What has happened to their sense of humanity that they can pray for an administration that works even against their best interests? I wondered about their soul. But in the wake of all this stress and anxiety, I also wondered about your and my soul. How is your soul this morning? I'm not simply asking about how you're doing or how you are feeling, but instead, 
I'm asking with all the chaos going on in this nation, what has it done to your soul? And do you even know the condition of your soul? So as I thought about the soul, I was led to the 23rd Psalm just for some guidance to understand the condition of the soul. This very familiar psalm is simple and brief, and it begins by using the metaphor of a shepherd to give us a clue as to how God deals with the conditions of our souls. It begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, is a description of how the Lord teaches how he heals, how he guides, and how he protects. He does it in the form of a shepherd. It is a, an expression of dependence. It, it, is an, a, it is a statement of ownership. And it's also an admittance of a personal relationship. And without this acknowledgement, it becomes pointless and useless to read the rest of the psalm. For unless you have accepted the role and authority of the Lord as shepherd, then as sheep, for we are all sheep gone astray, as sheep, we will have no hope for achieving a healthy soul. This is why I was thinking about the soul of all those people at the convention and why I do agree with this upcoming election. It is indeed a battle for the soul of this nation. But the psalm goes on further to let us know that it is the Lord who does all the work after you have accepted him as shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The Lord who is our shepherd, he is the one that does all the work. This is what the shepherd does. He is a restorer of souls but that is something that does not come easy and does not come without a cost and so today I want to take a deeper look at this psalm and and to examine in particular the fourth verse of the psalm which reads yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil. And the title for this message then, quite simply, for today's meditation and message, is The Valley of Shadows. The Valley of Shadows. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are now in the Valley of Shadows. We're in the Valley of Shadows, Lord, with souls that need to be restored. So we call upon you now as our shepherd to speak now to us. Speak to your people through this broken preacher that a word of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness may be theirs for the taking. We pray this and all things in the name that is above every name, in the name of Jesus the Christ, and all over the world, the church said amen, amen, and amen. The 23rd Psalm cannot be fully appreciated apart from the word of God that was spoken to Israel through the prophet Ezekiel. 
against the backdrop of the false shepherds who were permeating all over Israel during that time period, God promised to return to his people as their shepherd. And he gave Ezekiel this word and this metaphor to help to strengthen the faith of the people who were feeling like all they see around them was nothing but doom and gloom and loss. Here is what it said in the 34th chapter in the book of Ezekiel, the 11th through to the 15th verses. It reads, For thus says the Lord, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered, watch this, on a cloudy and dark day. These are the words of the prophet Ezekiel. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord. Now, as I read this passage in Ezekiel, you should clearly be able to hear the 23rd Psalm come alive out of the passage, which is why I said you can't really appreciate David's Psalm until you at least have an appreciation for how God has prepared the, the nation of Israel to receive his word. The first three verses of the psalm shows us that the good shepherd does just as Ezekiel says. He has led us to green pastures and also beside still waters. He has nourished us and refreshed us and has now given us the opportunity to find rest for our weary souls. But as you know, and as I know, the moment that you find yourselves in a place of rest, it is only a matter of time before trouble comes. Everything in the Bible is cyclical, and we know that just as there are seasons of peace and safety, it's only a matter of time before we have a season of despair and sudden destruction. I submit to you that the past four years has been just that, a season of despair and destruction. But everything in the Bible is cyclical, and I can see the mountainside. Times of peace and prosperity are often looked at as being on top of a mountain. Recall what I just read from Ezekiel. I will feed them in good pasture and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in the wrist rich pasture on the mountains of Israel, on the mountains of Israel. Ezekiel is making the point that something good happens on the mountains. Mountains are mentioned over 500 times in the Bible. Mountains symbolize where we become closer to a God that we believe dwell in the heavens. As a result, and biblically speaking, God often reveals himself on the mountaintop. In the Old Testament, Mount Sinai is especially significant. 
It is, of course, associated with Moses, and it's the place where Moses received the gift of the law that we call the Ten Commandments. In the New Testament, Jesus appoints his 12 disciples on a mountain. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus delivers the Beatitudes in his Sermon on the Mount. It was on the mountain that Jesus was transfigured, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light in the presence of not only Peter, James, and John, but the Bible tells us that even then, Moses and Elijah was there as well. And as we all know, Jesus Jesus often went to a mountainside just to pray, just to pray to his father. But for every mountain, my brothers and sisters, there is a corresponding valley. Valleys, however, are very different from mountains because in the valley, there is not much light. And so it's dark and it's not a good place for things to grow. Not a good place at least for anything good to grow. In other words, the pastures are not very green in valleys and certainly not a good place for any sheep to want to lie down. Valleys are dark and since you cannot see much, you are therefore out of control and at the mercy of anything that may want or come to do you harm. This is what it is like to be in the valley. In fact, the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. understood this when he said, I don't know, and I'm quoting, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter to me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. You see, Dr. King understood the reality of the valley experiences. And like David, who writes, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Dr. King did not mind. He did not mind because he had been to the mountaintop. And while valleys are hard, while they are difficult, the truth of the matter is they're even harder if you've never been on top of the mountain. So David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Walking through the valley, my brothers and sisters, is really a statement of confidence. Oh, yes, it is. But, but, but you can't have this confidence. You can't have this kind of confidence with an unhealthy soul. Unless your soul has been restored you will always live in the place of fear and anxiety. Even as we grieve watching this nation crumble in turmoil, it has caused our souls to be in a state of perpetual distress. I can't stand the news. And somehow it feels to me that at any moment now, this whole nation is going to just explode. I don't know if you can relate to what I'm saying, but it just seems to me that we have sunk so low in our depravity that it may have to take an act of God to pull us out of this moral decay. So my point is, walking through the valley is a statement of confidence and it requires, as its foundation, a healthy soul. It is only with a healthy soul that you can begin to live and say things like, yea, or even though, or despite. It is only with an healthy, healthy soul that you can do that because you have confidence enough to face and to walk through the valley of shadows. 
But I really need you to understand this morning, church, something about shadows. I want you to understand today something about shadows. And if you're on this journey with me, you know we're going somewhere. The presence of a shadow, any shadow, indicates that there is something or an object that is blocking the light and interfering with the light's ability to make it through. It is the light that is cast upon an object that allows the presence of a shadow to even emerge. So the problem is the object that is blocking the light, not the shadow. I don't know if you heard me today, church, but we're walking through valleys of shadows, and I'm just telling you right now that the problem is not the shadow, the problem is the object that is blocking the light and causing the shadow. Without the presence of light, there can be no shadow at all, even if you have all these objects around. What I'm trying to tell you, my brothers and sisters, it don't matter who's in the White House. Those are just objects. And they're trying to block the light. And what we're seeing is the shadow of those objects. And we are anxious, fearful about those shadows. But the shadows are not the problem. The problem is the object. This is very important to understand because as you look at your life, the very presence of a shadow lets you know that the light not only exists, but it's not far away. And, and, and if the light exists, then you can get to it. Shadows cannot last forever. And if your soul is restored enough, you will be making your way back up that mountain. Again, shadows have no power. Let me say that again, brothers and sisters. Shadows have no power. And because of the light, shadows can only interfere with your hope, but they cannot stop it. They cannot stop it. They can interfere. They can block your vision. They can make you be a little dim. Yes, they can cause you to be anxious, but they cannot stop your hope. But David is very specific here. Here's what David actually says. David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So the question I have is, what is the correlation between the valley of the shadow of death and evil? What is the relationship between the valley of the shadow of death and evil? How, how does that come together? And, and so I looked up the meaning of the word evil in the dictionary. And the word means wickedness, wrongdoing, sin, immorality, iniquity, Corruption and depravity. That's what the word means in the dictionary, evil. The, but, but these terms tend to make it seem that what we are fearing, according to the text, is, is something that is abstract. I'm, I'm fearing iniquity. I'm fearing depravity. I'm fearing wrongdoing. And I don't think that's what David had in mind. I don't think David was telling me, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no iniquity. That doesn't make sense to me. So I think David means something a little bit more. And in my heart and in my mind, I believe that what David was really saying is that David wasn't really saying evil. He was saying the devil. Ooh. Let me read it for you in context. You don't have to own it, but I'm telling you this is my interpretation of it. I believe that the statement that David really was saying is, yea, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow 
of death. I will fear no devil. By interpreting it this way, the fear is not just an abstract concept such as wrongdoing and iniquity and immorality and corruption. That's not it. You see, the thing is, the thing is, oh, I hope you're hearing this. The thing is, David is saying, I will fear not the shadow, but the object causing the shadow. That's the devil. That's the demon. You see, you see, it's the devil himself. For the Bible tells us that the devil, he comes to steal to kill and to destroy. But the thing that he comes to steal, the thing that he comes to kill, the thing that he comes to destroy is your soul. Your soul. And the door that he uses to open up to get to your soul is wickedness, wrongdoing, sin, immorality, iniquity, corruption, and depravity, and ultimately fear. Brothers and sisters, I hope you're getting this. I want you to understand that the object of that's causing the shadow is the devil. And how he uses that is he uses evil to get to your soul. So while we can boast of a confidence in walking through valleys, we must acknowledge that we have fear. Fear comes from the perception of imminent danger. The danger itself does not have to manifest. You just need to believe that it is imminent and you fall into fear. And shadows are very fearful. Let me give you an example of what I mean. I just need to tell you suburban white women that if I'm not elected, your neighborhoods are done. That's a shadow. And it's a shadow that is now inviting fear. But the fear that it's inviting and the shadow that it is, is not the object. It is only there to give you the sense that danger is imminent. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> Shadows are quite fearful. But the devil is the object that blocks the light. And he is the object and the source of all fear. He is the expressed manifestation of evil incarnate, and he is the source of all misery that we are experiencing in this world. Yes, we can blame the White House, but I'm telling you, the devil is the one that is doing it. Like a wolf, he is a threat to the sheep, and he will use whatever means at his disposal to harass and to devour the sheep. Brothers and sisters, let me be clear. I am speaking of spiritual things. The very popular acronym F-E-A-R is false evidence appearing real. You all heard that before. This means that fear is something that occurs in your mind. It is not real, but it's a figment of your imagination and an expressed anticipation of what could be but is not yet. In other words... Some, something does not have to be really there for me to be terrified or in fear. I just have to believe in my mind that it is. And as long as I think it is real, as long as I believe that it's real, as long as I can tell myself that this is going to happen, it is real to me. And all of this is taking place in my mind. 
This is why this psalm is so important, and I hope you all are tracking with me. This is why this psalm is so important, and as long as you have a healthy soul, hear me, church, as long as you have a healthy soul, the devil does not stand a chance to play tricks on your mind. Brothers and sisters, this is why the Apostle Paul says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. As long as I have a weak, frail, and unhealthy soul, I will always be fearful and living in a manner that keeps me from holding on to the promises of God. This is why those at the convention are blind to the reality of what is going on around them in America and the world. When your soul is unhealthy, it is hard to see and to know the truth. So the devil will play tricks on you by using your own fears and to keep you in captivity. The devil is the object that blocks the light and casts shadow that drives you to fear. But David is clear. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You see, the shepherd is taking the sheep somewhere. <laughs> the shepherd is taking the sheep somewhere. The shepherd is taking the sheep to new mountains and to new pasture lands for grazing. And to get to these new pasture lands, you must travel over some hills and through some valleys. But lurking in these valleys are always danger. Oh yes, there are wolves, there are lions, there are bears, there are QAnon, there are white supremacists, there's the KKK. There are very fine people on both sides and they seek to harm the sheep. But the helpless sheep can walk through these valleys with confidence. Why? Because the shepherd is with them. But notice very carefully, David's perspective on the dangers that he faces in these valleys, he describes as being the shadow of death. <laughs> as I stated before, shadows simply result from the blocking of light. They're not the object, but simply indicate the presence of that object. As the author of Hebrews says, the things in the temple and the ordinances performed there were only a shadow of the real things in heaven and the spiritual truths they represent. So in much the same way, death for a Christian is not the same thing as death for an unbeliever. You see, Isaiah wrote in the 8th chapter and the 25th verse, he says, death and its power have been swallowed up in the victory of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. For the Christian, death is not a real threat. It's only a shadow. The eternal sting of death is swallowed up in the overcoming work of Jesus that was finished on the cross. We don't have to fear because we will never face the real thing, but only the shadow. For the non-Christian, however, death is no shadow. And what they will face is eternally real. That is the sting to which Paul refers. But because of his soul's healthy perspective, David has peace. And David says, I will fear no devil. David says he has this peace because he thinks, he believes, and he knows the truth that God is with him. The presence of a shepherd is a source of comfort for David as a sheep. The flock can relax in the valley just as they did on the ranch because of the loving, attentive care of their shepherd. Likewise, when we or our loved one face death or evil, we can take comfort in knowing 
that we have the presence of God. We don't have to fear, for he will be with us, and he is our Emmanuel. Many of us are living very fearful lives right now because we're going through difficulty and dangerous valleys. And I want to be real and truthful to where I think people are today. The question all of us are asking is where is our shepherd? Where is our shepherd? As we see more black people fall as victims to police brutality and gun violence. Where is our shepherd when we see another brother lay paralyzed in a hospital bed? Where is our shepherd as we see teenagers walking with assault rifles killing people in the streets? Where is our shepherd as we see a wannabe totalitarian administration make decisions over and over again that cost so many lives? Where is our shepherd as we see unprecedented job loss and stagnant wages? Where is our shepherd as we see people working hard and unable to make ends meet? Where is our shepherd when we see as black people have to once again love a country that does not love them back and where is our shepherd when we see that black people are yet again forced to demonstrate to the world incredible grace in spite of our profound pain and the injustices that we re repeatedly experience where is our shepherd that's the question on all of our minds and on mine too for as sheep Every twitching sound you hear makes you flinch because you are afraid. Every pullover by the cops on the highway, you twitch, it makes you afraid. Your wolves everywhere, lurking in every single corner, trying to get at the depths of your soul. Paranoia has consumed our mind and it is devouring our soul. Fear has replaced the comforting presence of the shepherd and you are left with a lack of inner peace. Beloved, I'm speaking of spiritual things. What I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, is right now, where we feel, we feel like we're in Gethsemane. We are in our own Gethsemane. This is the condition of our souls. This is where we are in this nation. It is a helpless mindset tricked into believing that the shadows of the devil, this, the shadows of a corrupt administration has a sting to which we have no hope. But I came today to tell you something else. I came today to tell you that if this sounds like the condition of your soul, if this describes the state that you are in, if this is what you believe and what you are harboring in your heart, then my brothers and my sisters, take this from me as a definitive and declarative word from the mouth of God himself. The devil is a liar. That's the word. The devil is a liar. Whatever you're feeling in your soul, whatever the condition of your soul is right now, whatever it is telling you that you are, that's making you believe that this is as bad as it can get and that you have no hope, the devil is and always will be a liar. Charles Spurgeon, the famed preacher, once said, the gloom, danger, and mystery of valleys 
all disappear when light of faith comes with its heavenly lamp trimmed with the golden oil of the promise. My brothers and sisters, that light of faith is Jesus the Christ. And his heavenly lamp trimmed with the golden oil of the promise is the Holy Spirit. And you can again ascend to the top of the mountain where your soul can be healed. And you will see and know the truth. But it begins with you saying, the Lord is my shepherd then you can take it to the next level of getting your soul healed and restored by allowing the shepherd. Not a church, not a preacher, not a government, but by you allowing the shepherd to make you lie down in green pastures. Make the shepherd lead you beside the still waters. And once your soul is restored, you will then have the confidence to say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for my shepherd is with me. Your shepherd has been with you always. He has never left you, he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. This is the beauty of the 23rd Psalm and why I wanted to preach to you this morning about the condition of your soul. You need to know that your shepherd is always with you. So no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, no matter what you are thinking in your mind as fear and anxiety tries to cripple you, it's only a shadow, but the shepherd is with you and he'll always be with you. It is a Psalm of hope and of security. And it provides you with the courage to endure any valley, any evil, any demonic government, any corrupt administration, any coronavirus disease. For the fears that you face are only shadows. The fears that you face are only shadows. And here's where I'll end this message. Spirit of the living God, thank you, Holy Spirit. Here's where I end this message. Shadows have no power. Shadows have no power. Especially, especially over a healthy and a God-fearing soul. Let that be the word for you today. Yea, though I walk through the valley of powerless shadows. I will fear no devil, no demon, no evil. For Emmanuel, Adonai, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Tiskanu, Jehovah Rafi, Jehovah God, Yahweh, Adonai is with me. He is with me always. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.